Welcome. Julie Sloat rhymes with boat. You know how I know that? Because Winston Sloat always introduced himself as Winston Sloat rhymes with boat. And I bring that up because if you go to Senator Shane Reeves's office, guess whose picture you'll see hanging on the wall? Winston Sloat's. That's because Winston worked at North Boulevard through the 1990s. He came to North Boulevard from Michigan, and when he got here, uh, I'm told by the elders that he came in and he said, hey, I'm ready to do some kind of work, and uh, y'all just tell me what it is. And they weren't really sure what to ask him to do, uh, so they just sort of give him a couple of things. But what none of us realized was that he was a secret weapon. He was like the Chuck Norris of ministers, able to do evangelism. He baptized hundreds of people. But here's what um, I think I miss the most about Winston, uh, who's both of whose daughters are sitting right out here. He was the world's best encourager. Like that's what he did. He would hold your hands up. So when you grew weary, he was always there to give you an encouraging word. He did it for everybody, but you guys probably don't know how much he did it for me. So Winston had me by 20 years easily. And when I showed up, I came when I was uh, 30, wow, how old was I? 31 years old when I came to North Boulevard. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I didn't know what I was doing then. And I was insecure and I didn't know. I remember the, one of the first questions I asked Winston was, do I, should I wear a tie um, every day of the week? I mean, like at the office. And he said, yeah, start with a tie. And then when you notice no one else is wearing it, you can take yours off. Um, and that, I, I wore a tie every day for probably seven or eight years because of that. But whenever I would get sort of down and think, you know, I don't know if this is really working at all, Winston always had an encouraging word. And um, I think one of the best times for me was when we moved to this property. We were out looking for a loan. Some of you remember, we couldn't get a loan. Believe it or not, North Boulevard couldn't get a loan, which like is kind of really odd when you think about how much is given at North Boulevard, and we couldn't get a bank to give us a loan. And I was always stressed out about it, and I remember going out to lunch with Winston one time, and he said, hey, North Boulevard is going to knock the top off. You wait and see. We'll get in the building, and it'll be paid off early. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So I wonder, do you have, um, you have somebody who lifts your hands up for you? Could you name somebody, you don't have to yell it out, but do you have somebody that you say, you know what, when I get weary or discouraged or anxious, these are the folks who lift my hands up. Does anybody, do you all have somebody like that? See, I'm concerned that some of you don't have that and that some of you might have it, but you've been locked down inside your house for eight months and you're not getting a whole lot of it and um, it's just making you all the more anxious and, and lonely. Now, maybe a better question. Whose hands are you holding up? Like, who would say you're the ones that are holding up their hands? Would your spouse say that or would your um, children say that about you? You know, my kids are in their 20s now. I wonder should they be holding my hands up at times? Do we think about church as a place where we hold up one another's hands? 
You see, at the end of the day, we need to realize everybody you meet is fighting a cosmic battle. All of us are. It's been a nutty week. It's a nutty year. You know, it's been stressful and anxious this week. Regardless of which candidate, there's just all the chaos in the U.S. There is um, the hard times. And if we don't have somebody to hold our hands up, it's really easy to get discouraged, lonely, isolated. So uh, one of the foremost church growth and church management experts in the U.S. is a guy by the name of Tom Rayner. He taught for years at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Then he worked for, um, uh, he worked for the SBC, Life, Lifeway. I couldn't get Lifeway's name up. Yeah, just left Lifeway not long ago. Rayner did a survey in August of 2020, so about two and a half months ago, and discovered that more than 50% of America's ministers are in serious consideration about leaving the ministry. And a third of America's ministers have already made their minds up, they're quitting. He was shocked by this number and uh, began to push down and try to figure out what it is and realized the stress is just out the roof. Now, I'm not trying to call attention to ministers. I'm just suggesting that if it's stressful for ministers, it's stressful for everybody. Think about our teachers. So if you teach in one of our schools, now, not only do you do the things that you always had to do for, you know, I think arguably for less pay than people of comparable positions, but now you have all these layers of additional responsibilities laid on top of you, and now you have life and death decisions that you're making. You know, do something wrong and someone could get sick and grandma could die because of it. So everybody you meet's in the middle of a big struggle. And what we really have the opportunity to do is to be the people who hold up one another's arms when we're weary or tired, discouraged, lonely, or isolated. So as the Israelites were leaving their Egyptian bondage coming out of Egypt, they stopped at a place called Rephidim. Rephidim was the place where Moses first got the water from the rock, but it's also a place where a battle broke out. That's where we get the story of lifting and holding one another's arms in the air. These are actually images of that area of Rephidim. And this is actually the traditional mountain upon which Moses sat. Exodus 17 tells us the story. It's fascinating that it's a, it's, it's a story that just bristles with truth, but it's a very short story. I just want to read to you a few verses from it, and then I want to ask you this question. Whose arms are you holding up? Like, who would look to you and say, man, I don't know if I can make it without him or without her? So Exodus 17 the Amalekites, so this was a wandering nomadic group of people who were all over the Levant, so all over the area that we call Israel, Palestine, the Sinai, Syria, Jordan, uh, and Lebanon. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of the men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So this is the rod that Moses used to rescue the Israelites, to part the Red Sea, to make a snake, to impress Pharaoh, to say, let my people go. Now he's got the power of God. He's going to go on top of a mountain and he's going to hold up this rod. And here's what we discover. 
Verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur, so these are two co-leaders, Aaron and Hur, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And this is where our story gets personal for us. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands were made steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. The story is in the Bible not only to tell us why there's enmity between the Israelites and the Amalekites, but the story is in the Bible to say God has the power, but sometimes we need somebody to encourage us. Of all times, these times are times where we need somebody to encourage us. I put it in the language of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul's been talking in this text about... uh, the second coming, and what he calls the times and the seasons. And as he wraps that long conversation up in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Two words he uses, both of which are important. So one question that I've asked you to, to, to consider is, who's holding up your arms? The second question is, whose arms are you holding up? But each of these terms describes that. The first one is to encourage one another. The word encourage means it's a word of proximity. It means to get close to somebody for the purpose of strengthening their hearts. You can even see it in the word encourage. So the uh, the Latin term cura is the word for heart. And so uh, cardiacs and uh, cardiologists and whatnot comes from this word. The word encourage means to get close enough to somebody that their heart becomes strong. And by the way, in COVID, this is one of our problems is we can't even get close to each other. We can't shake hands. Some of you have been locked up in your houses. Uh, I was just telling Julie the other day that I was talking to one of you on the phone a while back, and I said, wow, they just sound older. And it dawned on me, well, you are older. I am too. But I haven't even seen you in eight months. And in the isolation, sometimes the heart grows so lonely Encouragement means getting close enough to somebody that their heart gets strengthened. The second word that's used in this text is the word edification. That's the old word. By the way, you should see in this term, edification, our English word edifice, which means a building because that's what edification is. It means to build somebody up. It means to add value to them. It means to give them structural strength and structural support. So Paul says, I want you to do both of these things for each other. You have a job. Your job is to encourage one another and to build up one another. Now, the best way to do that in a church our size is to do this, is to think small. So I promise you I'm not going to dress like Madam Blueberry every Sunday, but I just wanted to kind of go along with the flow. A lot of you are wearing your Madam Blueberry shirts today, and um, I put mine on too. And here's why. If ever we needed the blessing of small groups, now is the time. In fact, this is the blessing. This may be the greatest blessing or one of two of the greatest blessings God gives us out of COVID is that now we know we need it. Where in the past it was kind of a luxury, an auxiliary ministry. It was something some of us did. Now we know we need it. Now we know we can't survive 
If you want to develop these encouraging and edifying or upbuilding relationships, it will happen in small groups. In fact, the most explosive years of Christian history were the years where all they had were small groups. It's really important to know this. The very first church building that was ever built was not built until about the year 230 A.D. That means for the first two centuries of Christianity, they only met in houses or in open areas. They didn't have buildings. This, by the way, is a, a photograph of the, what we think is the very first church building. It's in a place called Dura Europus, which is uh, on the border between Iraq and Syria today. You can see a little bit of artwork that goes back to the fourth and third centuries, indicating that it was an early church building. But here's what that implies. It implies that the early church met in homes. So Acts chapter 2, when the, when the church was first started, they met daily in people's homes. A few chapters later, chapter 5, they're meeting in the temple courts and from house to house. When Peter's arrested and they're concerned about him, what do they do? They don't go to a church building. They have another 200 years before the first church building would ever even be built. Instead, they met in homes. Acts 20 and verse 20, when Paul's about to go for his martyrdom, He's a long, it's a, it's a year long, a years long process, but he's headed back. He knows he's going to die eventually. He meets with the elders at Ephesus and he says to them, don't forget that I was teaching you both publicly and from house to house. We find out in 1 Corinthians 16 that Aquila and Priscilla had a church that met in their house. It was a house church. In fact, Paul re references it again in Romans chapter 16. And then we have this one. In Philemon 1 and 2, we find out that these uh, individuals, Aphia and Archippus, they actually had a church that met in their house as well. So think about it. No matter what Greco-Roman city you went to, where Christianity was, there were sometimes two, 20, or 100 house churches, small groups. And that was the most explosive time in Christian history. You know why? Because we love having you here online. We love having you here in this room. We love the big Sunday event. We ought to love it. It's fantastic. I don't ever want to give it up. But you're staring at the back of somebody's head. Online, you're staring at a screen. Real relationships require interpersonal reactions. We have to be involved in one another's lives. We need to have these encouraging and edifying relationships or we just don't flourish. I think the early church exploded not because they had awesome Sunday services, but because they had awesome small groups. They were by nature a small group church. In fact, they, didn't, they weren't a church that had a small group ministry. They were just a series of small groups. So what we want to do is not just be a church that has a small group ministry, like, okay, we have this ministry and this ministry, pencil sharpen ministry, carpet cleaning ministry, small group ministry. Instead, we want to understand that small groups are the cells that constitute the body. Here's one other text, Colossians 5, uh, 4 and verse 15. Uh, Paul says, we don't know who she is, Nympha, but she had a church that met in her house. There was a house church going. So what I'm trying to say to us is this. If you want, to, if you want encouragement and building up, it'll only happen in a small group which can become your spiritual family. That's really the model. A small group is a family. It's your spiritual family. In our families, we learn how to love. In our families, we learn how to argue. By the way, I think one reason why um, it's just an opinion. It's probably the right opinion, but it is just an opinion. I think one reason why Antifa is so um, 
insane? And yes, I'm on record as saying that. It's because when, if you dig down, there, so many of them did not have a healthy family. So they never learned how to argue. If you never learn how to argue, everything's a fist fight for you because you never learned how to argue. I, I, I'll just say this. So we did this curriculum coming apart. So those of you who are working through the curriculum, you know, we've done politics and race and COVID and I don't remember what else, some other stuff. But uh, so I wrote the lessons for that. And I want you to know, I wrote those lessons hoping to provoke you to fight. I really wanted you to argue in your groups. You know why? Because you need to learn how to argue. You need to learn how to disagree with brothers and sisters and still love them. If every meeting is just sort of a kumbaya and everybody's just sort of sweet and, and fake and phony with one another, you can't grow. In real families, sometimes we have to get down and we have to really get down to the, the hard issues. That's what groups give us. They give us the opportunity to become a real family where we learn real skills for real living. Small groups are where you get that. So we have small groups. They are our families, our spiritual families at North Boulevard. I have no idea how many groups we have. I have heard different numbers. I think it's like 150 groups or something like that. I don't really know, though, because how you define a group sometimes changes. But I just want you to see how many families there are. And that what happens in these families is that we get to grow up to be like Jesus. So in these families, when they're done well, there is encouragement, there's honesty, there's authenticity. There are real friendships. In these groups, we actually develop the skills necessary to be mature followers of Jesus. So we have at West Campus, we had a family that joined us a little bit more than three years ago, Joseph and Crystal Thomas. And when they first came, they didn't want to go in a small group. And so they took some persuasion. But when they got in a small group, we got a testimonial from them. I, want you, I just want you to hear because it's actually pretty sweet what they have to say. It's a very short clip, but I want you to hear their testimony about joining their small group. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm Crystal. And we've been coming to West for three years now. And we have been in a small group for two years. It has been a huge blessing. I just really want to get plugged in and find Christian friends, like good Christian friends that I could talk to about my problems and they could pray with me. I didn't really want to get into a small group right away. You know, Sundays are for football. So it's God than football. You wake up, you drink some coffee, you go to church, you thank God for football, and then you go home and you watch. I felt like if we were getting into a small group that that was going to get stepped on. And I kind of wasn't really that ready for it. But they were great. They actually worked with Joe in the football <laughs> schedule they did. for some reason. The Bronco game was on at a certain time. We would kind of rearrange so that um, Joe could watch the game and come to small group and just have the, that relationship. You know, small group became a really big part of our life. You know, everyone in our small group is fantastic and everyone has your back and we've had birthdays, we've had graduations, we've had new babies and we were all there for each other when that was happening. To it's have, like a second family. It is a second family. Did you hear that? We have birthdays, graduations, we've even had babies 
It's like a family. That's what small groups can become for us. And I want to say going forward, all the hardships that we've gone through in 2020, but the hardships we know we'll go through relationally, nationally, whatever it is, we'll survive when we have people who can lift our hands up. And that's found in small groups, lifelong commitments, friendships, real spiritual families. So North Boulevard not only has this, but I'm really thankful that we have the technology of Zoom and uh, whatever Google Chats or Hangouts is now, whatever they call it now. Guys, we ought to thank God for this technology. 20 years ago, a pandemic could well have shut us down. We've got some of you who are online right now, many of you, uh, 1,500 of you online right now. We are so glad you're with us. In fact, I want to say if you're online, if you have any health concerns at all, stay home. The online campus is permanent. In fact, I'm going to challenge just a moment, just treat it like a campus. We're not going to try to hurry you to come back to the building. Uh, some of you are living in other states. God has given us this technology. Let's make the most of it. This is the second great blessing we'll get out of this pandemic, which is a real robust online community. We'll get them both. But right now we have small groups that meet online all over the place. I think some of them are praying or they possibly might be dozing off. Um, at, we have uh, groups that do Bible classes. I don't know what this is, some kind of party or something, but all over the city and not just all over the city, but we actually have groups now that involve people living in other states. So you guys may not know this, but every Sunday we have, I don't know the number, 100, 200, before the week's over, maybe as many as four or 500 people who will join us from outside of Middle Tennessee. And actually some of them are already in small groups. So we have people who are in our small groups who are with us in Dallas, Texas, in Wichita, Kansas, uh, somewhere up in New Hampshire or something. I, I, I found out about this when I decided to call her Linda Hours, who's here on the left. So Linda and her sister, when the pandemic struck, they're in Tampa, Florida. They decided they, it wasn't safe to go back to an in-person service where they were. So they just went online, started randomly working through different websites. And they, they just happened upon North Boulevard's website. And according to Linda, she said, we just fell in love. So they've been with us all through the, uh, all through the summer. Linda, I, I'm, this is for you. And she said, as I was talking to her, she just said, this is just like our church home. We're so close. They've never even been to Murfreesboro. Like now they think about coming to Murfreesboro as a vacation. Or if you're in Tampa, Florida, you need to go see them. They're part of our community. They're actually in Debbie Mankin's small group online, Zoom. She did say this. She, she told me two things. She said, make sure you let North Boulevard know how much, I think I'm getting this right, Linda, how much I love them. And then she said, and give Sean a really big hug for me, which I'm not going to do, Sean. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Uh, but from Linda to you, my friend, here's what I'm saying. We have an opportunity now to lift up one another's hands, to encourage and edify one another. Opportunities now that we never had before and the need that is greater than it's been in decades. The need is here. And you're thinking to yourself, well, who's lifting up my hands? That's good. Think that way. But also ask the other question, whose hands are you holding up? Whose hands are you holding up? And if you're wondering how to do it, you think small. I'm going to give you three quick challenges and I'm going to stop. Those of you who are online, so this applies, to, Linda, to you or uh, uh, for it, it, wherever you are in the U.S. or outside the U.S. But it also applies to those of you 
who were in person at North Boulevard but now can't get out because of the virus. So we have a lot of people, a thousand of you. It's not safe for you to come back. I'm telling you again, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Stay home and stay safe. That's what we want for you. But I do have a request of you. Don't just be a watcher. Don't just watch. Become part of the community. Start interacting with one another. So when you're sitting online and you see someone's comment pop up over here and they're really struggling with this or that, they have a question, go on and start chatting with them and build relationships. Make the online campus a real community. So here's the deal. If you're, gonna, if you're watching us right now and that's all you've got is you're just watching our service, I predict that at some point we're not going to be as good as Disney. At some point, you're going to start saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to tap in a little bit later, and I'm going to leave a little bit early, and I'm going to go on and do breakfast. At some point, it's going to start missing you if it's not a community. Remember, we are here to encourage and edify one another. It's got to be a community to pull that off. Second thing I want to say is invite people over to your house. Save people, but invite them over to your house and watch the program together. Make a community out of it. So here we have, uh, by the way, John O. Quinchon was once voted like one of the handsomest men in Rutherford County. And that's a true statement. Um, and there's Sean too. He's up there. <laughs> so these, <laughs> these are, uh, they, he was on Mercer. One of these guys was on the cover of Mercer Magazine as the handsomest man in Rutherford County or something like that. I'm trying to get pictures of watch parties, and this is the best I can get, is uh, just a few people who are having the party. This is my favorite, actually. Here's a watch party. Do you see it? This is my granddaughter, Maria, and she is having a watch party by herself. And actually, um, Mackenzie told me she sat there through the whole service and just joined us online, just watched the whole service, watching me preach there in Eugene, Oregon. Here's one of our uh, small groups. They, they all meet together when they're not here in person, and they do it together so they can continue to build a community. Because here's the deal. Everybody needs someone to hold their arms up. Everybody needs someone who's pouring into them, loving on them, encouraging them, edifying and building them up. And we do that in our small groups. Here's my second challenge to you. My second challenge is rediscover the power of prayer in your groups. So James puts it this way, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Many of us in the American South are really um, shy about praying aloud in groups. Men especially. Uh, it's just really hard for men to do that in the American South. Not every man, but a lot of us. It doesn't feel natural. I'm 59, and I'm being honest with you, it still doesn't feel natural for me. I do it, but it's not natural. And so for a lot of us in our groups, we might have like a little tiny closing prayer that we kind of slip in because we know we're supposed to. We might have an opening prayer because we slip in because we know we're supposed to. I just want to suggest if you want big results, pray big prayers. Surely by now North Boulevard knows this. We've seen so many miracles here at North Boulevard. It's almost boring. You don't even know about them. They're so, it's like God just rolls them out. Last Sunday, y'all remember last Sunday at the end of service, I got up and I mentioned we were going to pray for uh, Amy, Brian Lawrence, adopting a little girl from India. For three months, they've heard nothing. The pandemic, the bureaucracy, all just 
It's as thick and as messy as you think it would be. And they're just grieving the fact that they have a little girl that they can't get over here. She said, would you pray? I said a prayer. Anybody remember that? Somebody does. Thank you. Julie does. Yeah. Well, okay. So I heard uh, the next day that a number of you also were praying for them and some of you texting and praying with them. So Amy sends a text Monday of this past week. See, I'm not going to tell you about miracles that happened 17 centuries ago. This happened Monday. She sends a text and says, you'll never believe what happened. We got a phone call from our attorney in India saying, get ready for a Zoom call. We see action coming. Three months, they haven't heard anything. Suddenly, the church prays and God just says, all right, now I'll prove it. I'll listen to your prayers. I'm suggesting when you get your group together, pray with them. Hey, here's a, so this, this is a cool story here. So um, I've got friends down in uh, Atlanta who, uh, well, actually, Julie grew up here, but uh, so he, John and Julie, he's a, he is a um, orthodontist in Atlanta, the Kleinbells. Julie grew up here, she, uh, and she's a smotherman, and so they've been down there for years, but they're just, they're just great connections for North Bowl, are great friends, and they, they visit our stuff, and I, I just love them. They're just great people. They're so winsome. And a year and maybe two or three months ago, John, I think he had listened to a sermon or something. He heard us talking about prayers and how God does things when we pray. So he sent me an email. He said, hey, we got a little boy in our church, uh, and he's got uh, neuroblastoma, which is a very serious and deadly cancer, affects children, and many children don't survive. It's uh, multiple tumors. uh, It affects the adrenal system. It's a very serious thing. And he just said, I just wish... I wish y'all could lay hands on him and pray. And I said, hey, I'll just bring the elders down. Our elders would be happy to drive to Atlanta. We'll go down and we'll pray over him. We'll lay hands on him. And he was like, he, he told the parents, both of whom are MDs, by the way. So this boy, both of this boy's parents are medical doctors in Atlanta. And they were like, no, just saying that gives us all the reassurance we need. That's cool. And then like a week or two ago, I, well, maybe three weeks ago, I ran into John at an event, and he said, hey, you remember that boy y'all were praying for? And I was like, yeah, I don't remember this. I couldn't remember all the details, but it's like, yeah, I do remember. He said, well, guess what? He's had multiple chemo treatments. He's had multiple surgeries. He said, for the last year, the cancer's gone. About the time y'all started praying for him. So I, I thought, you know, you hear stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, that happens. And then you find out both parents are medical doctors. And then I said to John, you know, it'd be something cool to say. So would I have permission to share the story? He said, oh, not only permission, but they actually sent me the boy saying hello to us. So I want you to meet this young man that we prayed for and that we said, if we need to, we'll drive down and lay hands on. Just the prayers. Listen to this sweet little guy, Edward, as he just, um, he recorded this to say thank you to me. Hi. Hi, Mr. Young. My name is Edward, and I'm having a scan in, in, in January. But I'm doing great now. But I'm doing great now. My scans look good. My scans look good. Woo! Say woo! Woo! Ace. Uh, uh, last Friday night, I, I spoke at, so the Experience Church had their big men's retreat, and they asked me to come speak, and I spoke on the subject of prayer, and I said to them, you know, we believe in miracles because we see them all the time. And so when it was over, I was trying to get out, I was trying to get out, I wanted to go make a visit or two, and as I was leaving, 
I had like a hundred guys lined up to say, man, I can't tell you, I prayed for this and this is what God did. Guys, it's available to us. So here's what I'm saying. Next time your group meets, it's really simple. Next time your group meets, do this. Everybody with me? If nobody else says this, you have to say it. Say, before we leave tonight, we'd like to put one person in the middle. Let that one person express a prayer need. We're going to lay hands on that person, and we're going to pray over them. I want, I want every group to do that. In fact, I invite you to do it for the next several weeks and just see if God does something with that. Now, you're going to wait for your leader to bring that up, but you might have a shy leader who doesn't feel comfortable doing it. And I'll just remind you, over here is comfort. Over here is awesome. You can have comfort or you can have awesome, but you can't have both. You get to pick. And I suspect you want awesome at the end of the day. So if your leader doesn't bring it up, at the most awkward moment in your meeting this coming Sunday night, I want you to raise your hand. I mean, pick most awkward, memorable moment and say, I think we need to do what David said the other day. Let's put somebody in the middle, lay hands, and pray. Do that for a month and see what God does with it. You don't believe he'll do something big with that? And here's my last point. Wherever you are in your, in your journey of small groups, take the next step. You need somebody to be encouraging you and building you up, and somebody needs you to do it. Guys, this is our moment. This is our time. This is the blessing we're going to grab out of this pandemic. And if you don't realize it can't be done, I'll close with this simple story, beautiful story. So in 2018, a young woman who, she, she, we have permission to share the story, but I don't want to share the details. Just, I'll speak in general terms. A young woman who had a, a very difficult upbringing, very, very difficult, showed up at our West Campus. Her name is Taylor Starr. She has a daughter, Avery Starr. And uh, she, had, she had a lot of problems. When she walked, got into the orbit of people who believe in holding up one another's hands, all she had to do was get in their orbit when she got in their orbit, the staff and the members at West Campus built a small group around her. I mean, they built the whole group around her. So David and Kristen Hunziker invited her in. They've got four kids. They invited her and her daughter in to live with them. They got her out of debt. They assigned some mentors to teach her spiritually. They helped her get her uh, a GED. They got her a job. Then, a few months later, they baptized her into Jesus Christ. And then 18 months ago, they helped her go to a rehab center. It's called Blue Monarch, uh, south of here. And for 18 months, she relearned all the skills that she didn't get growing up. And last week, because a small group loved her, she graduated from her program, and she is set for a brand new life in Jesus Christ. That's the power of a group where we hold one another's hands up. I'm just saying, you need it, I need it, but you need to give it, and I need to give it. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, well, I don't know, just do this. Take the next step. If God is calling you to jump over the planet or, or jump over the whatever, that's fine. But all I'm asking you to do 
It's to take the next step, whatever it is. Take the next step. And when you take the next step, somebody will win. And when enough somebody's win, everybody wins. Let me know if I can help you. Let's stand up and sing.